Welcome to Radiate! <laughs> no, we're honored to have you today. Um, I'm going to jump right in my voice. I'm going to ask you to stick with me. I think I preached a lot more than I taught in the first service this morning, but that's okay, right? We're good with that. Um, I'm super excited that you're with us for week three of uh, Binge the Bible. And the whole idea of this series is not that we get through the Bible, but that the Bible will get through us. And we're going to look at the fact that the Bible was not written to you. You need to go ahead and know that. The Bible was not written to you. The Bible uh, was written for you, though. And there's a lot we can take from it. And so week one, we talked about why you should trust the Bible. If you missed that one, I invite you to go back and watch that on our YouTube or listen to it on our podcast. Everywhere the podcasts are available. <laughs> um, and then last week, we talked about Genesis, and we walked through the book of Genesis. There's so much there in that. In fact, we're going to go through a quick recap to kind of catch you up. So we're all together in this. We broke Genesis into three sections, or three movements, as we called it, um, with the Israelites in, in Genesis as God is setting up the story of redemption. You'll find there's a scarlet thread throughout the entire Bible of redemption and grace and forgiveness throughout the entire Bible. And we, we broke it up into creation, covenant, and captivity. In the creation aspect of it, you can go back and watch it to get all the chapters to read and study. Uh, but the creation aspect of it reminds us that God is first. God is always first. Before you were, He was. I thought that'd get a lot more amens than it did. Before you were, He was. I know we think we got it all figured out and that we can do it without Him. But before you were, He was. God is always first. I need y'all to help me a little bit more than my 8.30 did this morning uh, as we move forward. I'm just giving you a fair warning. If not, I will call you out. And then <laughs> you got creation, then you got covenant. And covenant is where God begins to make promises with Abram and Sarai as he's setting up the nation of Israel. All these things are happening. And the covenant aspect reminds us that God doesn't lie. Even when God promises you something and it takes years to get to the promise and you don't see the other side, you don't see the end from the beginning and it feels like it's taking years after years after years, decade after decade, I can promise you when God says it, he ain't lying. And it don't matter what happens, it's going to happen. It don't ma your circumstances don't change his character. Come on somebody. Your circumstance don't change his character. God doesn't lie. And then the last part of Genesis is all about the captivity of Joseph. Joseph's thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, framed for rape, thrown into prison. Then he, uh, he has favor from God in the prison to, to um, interpret dreams. He does so throughout that process. He becomes number two in charge in Egypt. And he's over the, the moment of abundance, the season of abundance and the season of famine. And that's where we left off last week. But in, as we left off from that, that's really leading us right into Exodus. But there's a glimpse. You ever watched a show or a movie or a series on Netflix and there's a, uh, and there's a glimpse in season two of what's going to, or, or in episode two of what's going to take place in season two? And, and when you get to season two, you're like, oh, wait, they said that was going to happen back in here. And it all begins to, to cap, come together. And it all begins to connect. And that happens in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15 and 12 through 14. It says it like this. It says, now when the sun was going down. And, and I'm just going to go. I'm going to stop real quick because i got to say this. If you take notes 
And as I say, I hope that you do. You're going to want to write fast today. And if you're not taking notes, you're going to want to write fast today. It's that important uh, to go back on this. It says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. If you're like me, I didn't sleep much last night. I was too excited to preach, to be quite honest. And um, that's a true story. And I, a deep sleep sounds real good to me right now. A deep sleep fell upon Abram. Uh, just don't go into a deep sleep in here, okay? Don't do that to me. My pride can't take it. And, <laughs> and behold, terror and a great darkness fell upon him. In other words, Abram had a night terror. He had a nightmare. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had anything like that. But uh, for me, I, I ha- I'm on a medicine because of heart stuff. And as the, the medicine gets acclimated to my system, uh, when I first started taking it, and if I forget about it for a certain amount of time and start back, I go through about three to five days of night terrors. And the thing about night terrors are, is night terrors feel like reality. I've woken up running from a clown in my house that was not there. Um, I've woken up trying to get my kids out of our house because I was convinced the house was burning down. And it was just a night terror. And I think that's kind of what Abram was going through in this moment because terror and darkness fell on him. He was having a nightmare or a night terror uh, in this, but God was speaking to him through it. How many of you know even in terrorizing moments, God can speak? Even in hard moments, God can speak. And God said to Abram, know for certain. In other words, you ain't got to doubt this one, buddy. This one's going to happen. Ain't what could happen. Ain't what should happen. This is what's going to happen. And he said, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Now, here's why this is interesting. If you go to Genesis and you know the story of Genesis, what does God look at Abram and say? I want you to look out at the stars. And if you can count them, do so. And he says, that's going to be how expansive your descendants are. What are the descendants? The Israelites. The nation of Israel. It is God's chosen people. It's important to know all of this. God's given Abram a destiny or something that's going to happen. There'll be strangers in a land that's not theirs. Again, this isn't forward, uh, uh, foreign to Abram, and here's why. Because if you remember the story in Genesis, Abram and Sarai got a, a, a command from God to pack up all their stuff in their Honda Pilot. And they were not going to know where to go until they were on the way to there. And they would know when they got there when God said, put it in park in your garage and move into that house. That's the only way that they knew. It was a test of faith between Abram and Sarai, and it started a journey of faith for them. So this part isn't incredibly abnormal for them. And it says, in a land that's not theirs, where they will be, this is the part that gets rough, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. How many of you would like to hear that your descendants are going to be slaves for 400 years? That's pretty heartbreaking, isn't it? Your kids... And your kids' kids, and your kids' 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 kids are going to be slaves, and they're going to be oppressed for 400 years. And he says this. That part's hard to take, but then he says this. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and after that word, they will come out with many possessions. That part sounds good. That part, we're like, yeah, we're coming out. We're going to come out with stuff, and we're going to come out with things. And can I tell you? That is where all believers and Christians and followers of God, we want to hang right here in this version, in this portion of Scripture. But I will, uh, God will judge them, and I will come out with many possessions. I'm going to rate it. That sounds good. But when we focus only on that, we forget that in order to come out of something, 
you got to go into it. And it's a, it's a reminder. I'm going to give you a lot of little clips today as we move forward. But it's a reminder that every time there's a season of abundance, there's going to be a season of famine. And how you steward the season of abundance determines how prepared you are for the season of abandon or the season of famine. And it's going to determine what you have stored up over here in order to live over here when things get hard. So when I go through a season and I burn through my financial reserves while everything's good, don't get mad when I ain't got nothing left when everything's hard. Yeah, I knew y'all get quiet on that one. Don't get mad when I burn bridges with friends while everybody wants to be my friend. But when I'm by myself going through a season that's hard and I ain't got nobody left, I can't get mad in the famine because I didn't steward the abundance. Are you with me? So my point today is this is good. Celebrate this, but be prepared for this because one don't come without the other. That's why people go, why is there so much evil in the world? Because it, there would be no evil, I mean no good if there was no evil. One don't live without the other. They are connected together. I could keep going all day, but I won't. So we get to this and we close last week with the Israelites. Everything's good. Everything's good. Man, they're in Egypt. They're, they've, got, they've got the abundance. They can eat in a time of famine. They're loving it. Joseph's in charge. Everything's taking place. All this stuff's happening. And then you get over into the story of Exodus and all hell breaks loose. Joseph's no longer in charge. The Israelites are about to go through being enslaved and oppressed. So what happened? Here's what happened. In Exodus 1, 8 through 14, it really tells us, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph can't help you when the guy that's over Joseph don't care for Joseph. So basically, Joseph loses his power. Why does Joseph lose his power? Because the new king or the new pharaoh don't care about Joseph. He has no connection to Joseph. He didn't, Joseph didn't interpret his dream. It was the other guy's dream. Are you following what's happening? And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come let us deal wisely with them or else they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us. And depart from the land. This guy is terrified of losing a mass portion of his nation. He's terrified that the census is going to drop. They're going to join up with other armies. And they're going to defeat them. This guy's authority is in jeopardy at this point. So here's what their plan is. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. That sounds a lot like Genesis 15, doesn't it? You see where scripture supports scripture. Story supports story. Your people will spend 400 years enslaved. When you appoint taskmasters over somebody, it sounds a lot like slavery. And he gives them hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities in Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, I love this. I'm going to camp out for a minute right here. Is that okay? But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. Hear me today. You may feel like everybody's afflicting you and coming against you, but it may just be that God's trying to multiply something on the inside of you that you can't quite see. And every hard thing that comes against you is actually multiplying every good thing that can come out of you. 
It may be multiplying grace and forgiveness and love and mercy and, and patience. It may be multiplying the gifts of the Spirit within you. And I know that affliction is not easy and affliction is not good and affliction is not, is not something we want. But what if the affliction multiplies everything God put inside of you? I think we would all go, okay. In fact, it happened so much that the Egyptians were like, I don't even want to be around these guys. We got to get these guys under control. The Egyptians compelled, compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Here's what you see you see Genesis 15 happening. Why? Joseph's not in charge. Joseph can't keep them out of this stuff anymore. And so the Pharaoh and the Egyptians are now being uh, 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 um, enslaving the Israelites. And it's real interesting to me. It's real interesting. Some of you need to grab this because this is going to set you free today. The reality is, is the Israelites were in Egypt for one reason. They needed to be fed in a hard time. Things were dry. Things were tough. Things were difficult. But the very thing that used to feed them is now the very thing that enslaves them. And some of you in the room, you came in in a hard time in a dry season. And you don't have any abundance. And you have nothing to go with. And you're wondering what to do. And it was just a season of drinking way too much. It was just a season of looking at the wrong thing on the computer. It was just a season of compromising integrity and in character. It was just a season of burning through all finances. It was just a season of this. And now you walk into a place and go, I don't know how I got here. I was just getting fed for a season. I was just getting fed for a moment during a hard time, Pastor. That's all it was. And now my marriage is falling apart. And my wife is cheating on me. And my husband's done this. And my, and my job's gone. And all I have left is the bottom of a jacket. Daniel's bottle and all I have is prescription pills and all I have is all this and I'm here to tell you if you're not careful the thing that feeds you in hard times will end up enslaving you and you'll have no idea how you got there and some of you walked in enslaved some of you walked in enslaved by guilt some of you have walked in enslaved by shame and condemnation and pain and hurt and bitterness because forgiveness ain't in your reality. And I'm just here to tell you, some of you walked in enslaved and you're going, I'm enslaved, that's me, I get it. And you're going, but how do I get out of it? Welcome to the book of Genesis. I mean the book of Exodus. I just ruined that whole transition. <laughs> Welcome to the book of Exodus. It's a story of God going, you're enslaved, but it's not too much for me. You're enslaved, but it's not too much for me. You're enslaved, but we got some freedom coming. And as we look at Exodus, we have to go, who wrote the book of Exodus? Who did he write it to? But before we talk about who wrote it, we have to remember who inspired it. Because man wrote Scripture. But all Scripture is inspired by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Hear me. Man wrote it, and we're going to talk about who wrote it in just a minute. God inspired it. So you can rest assured every time you read the Holy Word, and you read the Scripture, and what God has for you in this, He didn't write it to you, but He wrote it for you. And every time you read these words, you can rest assured that God wrote it for you to go have teaching, to be reproof, uh, to go through reproof, to go through correction, for training in 
righteousness. The whole goal of the Bible is to help God come closer to you and you come closer to him. What does it look like to live a life that is faithful to God? Who wrote the book of Exodus? Well, Moses did. He wrote Genesis. He wrote Exodus. He wrote the book of Exodus around 1800 to 1446 B.C., somewhere around in there. Again, I'm going to say this again, give or take two to five years or so in between there of when it could be. But somewhere around those, those time frames is where it was. It was written to, the purpose of it was to teach the next generation about their history. Here's why. If you don't learn from history, you're bound to what? Repeat it. He didn't want the Israelites going back to false gods, going back into slavery, going back into all that stuff. He wanted them to learn from what everybody else had been, to, uh, been through. And Exodus actually means, this is what it translates as, it means departure. Now we're going to break up Exodus into four sections. We're going to go fast, as fast as I can, because I might camp out and preach a little bit. Let's just be real honest. I keep trying to take my preacher hat off and just leave my teacher hat on, and it just gets hard sometimes, Eric. It's just tough, man. I just want to get pumped. I, I love this stuff, man. I nerd out on it. Section 1 is Exodus 1 through 14. The Israelites are leaving Egypt. They're, they're walking out of Egypt. They're coming out of it. And what happens in that, and this is something to understand, that before God does a great move, Anywhere in the Bible, he always calls a leader first. He does it through someone. There is a leader. He doesn't call the board. He doesn't call everybody's opinions together. He doesn't go, hey, let's take a vote. Majority wins. Come on, are y'all with me? He goes, I'm calling you. And I'm giving you the vision. And I'm going to call people to join the vision. And we're all going to do more together than we could separate. Which is actually the heart of this church is that we all come together with our gifts and our abilities and our heart and our commitment to God and go, we can do more together than we can apart. We can do more working together with our giftings than we can by ourselves. And we want to do that. And so he calls a leader by the name of Moses. And in, Mo in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10, we see what begins to take place. He's talking to Moses in a burning bush. The crazy thing about the burning bush is the burning bush was not actually being burned up. It was the fire of God in the moment getting his attention. And it says this, therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh. He's calling Moses. He's saying, this is your job. I'll send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. He's looking at Moses, and he's going, you got one job, Moses. I'm using you to pull people out of slavery. I'm using you to pull people out, out, out of the captivity of the Egyptians. Watch this. He uses a leader. When I can't follow a leader, I can never actually be a leader. Some of us want to be leaders so bad but we don't want to be leaders because we want God to do great things to us. We want to, do, we want to be leaders because it's my way or no way. And if you don't do it my way, you're wrong and you're not of the Bible and you're not of God. And how dare you? That's the society we live in today. It's my way or no way. And I'm here to tell you, God doesn't call choirs. God calls people. And God calls people to join a vision. I know this is hard. Because you're like, this sounds like you're trying to advocate for something. I'm really not. I pastor an amazing church that loves me and loves the vision God's given us. And we're all in this thing together. And we do it that way 
because that's the vision God's given us. And the reality is, is that he looks at Moses and he goes, this is for you. And here's what Moses says. I know you called me to be the leader, but I stutter too much. I can't talk in front of people. How am I ever going to lead? People can't even understand me. And, and God goes, yeah, but I called you. I, I, I don't care. I can't do this. And, go, and God goes, hey, you got a brother. His name's A-A-Ron. You got a brother by the name of Aaron. I knew that would wake some of you up. You got a brother by the name of Aaron. Aaron speaks just fine. He ain't got no problem with people. In fact, I can't get Aaron to shut up sometimes. And so, how about this? I speak to you, Moses. Moses, you speak to Aaron, and Aaron will be your mouthpiece to speak to the people. Okay, God, I guess I ain't getting out of this thing then. And so they begin this journey of going to Pharaoh. And the great thing, one of the things I love about Moses is Moses got a past, y'all. Like, Moses got a past that he wouldn't even pass the background check to work and radiate kids back here. Right? Moses got a past. Moses got that past that you see. On, on ID network, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, go read Exodus, Exodus 1 and 2. That man had a past. And God goes, I don't care about your past. I care about your future. You got something in you, and I'm going to pull it out. And so they go in, and they go to Pharaoh, and they say, Pharaoh, you got to let our people go. And Pharaoh goes, okay, sounds great. No. That's not what he says. Do you know why? It's free labor. He's got free labor. He gets everything in the nation done through slavery. It's, it's a win-win for him. And so that's where you have the ten plagues come in. And these are the ten plagues. I, don't, I asked some people this morning, I was like, do you know them by heart? And they were like, no, do you? And I was like, don't ask me questions I don't want to answer. <laughs> and the interesting thing about these ten plagues is the first two, sorry, I had to chomp on a golf drop for a minute. The ten plagues is the first two are replicated by the Pharaoh's magicians. So the first one is, they're floating down the river, kayaking, fishing, pulling the largemouth bass out the water, and all of a sudden, it turns to blood. The whole river, all the water turns to blood. Their water supply is contaminated with blood. That would freak anybody out. Let's be real honest, okay? It stinks. And Pharaoh goes, that ain't nothing. Your God ain't nobody. I can do that. And his magicians do it, and they're like, okay. So then they come with frogs. You ever heard of bullfrogs at night? So not only was there a plague of frogs and water to blood, but there was a plague of no sleep. Because you ain't sleeping with frogs all around your house. It ain't happening. And so frogs are there. Pharaoh goes, your God ain't nothing. I can recreate that. Magicians recreate it. And then you start getting the gnats. And Pharaoh goes, that ain't nothing. It's just little flies. It ain't nothing. My magicians can recreate that. And they go, um, excuse me, sir. <laughs> Actually, we can't. And this is where God begins to show off. And, and you can see the, the, the plagues and go, okay, they progressively get worse. I mean, it goes to your firstborn dying. It's a big deal. Each time, after each time, Pharaoh goes, no, not letting them go, not letting them go. And in Exodus 12 is where you see um, the, the angel of death is sweeping through the nation of Israel. And what does he tell the Egyptians? He goes, hey, you're favored. Because you're committed to me. And so if you put blood on your doorpost, it's called the Passover, then, then the angel of death will pass over your house. And, and when he passes over your house, he'll go to the next house and kill the firstborn male of the, of the Egyptian house. Like, 
I know you're sitting there going, man, that's kind of rough. Yeah, fight with God and see what happens. <laughs> right? I mean, God, God, God wants commitment because God is what? First. You see how it's all tying in? God is, God is first. And here's the truth of the story of the plagues that I want, to, want you to grab, and then we're going to move on to section two in just a moment. And it's this. Sometimes your deliverance is a process. The Israelites didn't have Moses show up and then immediately go, oh, we're free. Oh, we're good. No, there's a process. And there's a process that they had to go through that probably wasn't very comfortable for them. It was probably difficult for them. It was hard for them. Sometimes some of us believe that everything should be immediate and immaculate. And we should be delivered immediately. And we have this idea that um, righteousness is a moment in time where God makes us holy. And everything is fine and my addiction is gone and I'll never struggle again. And while that is a reality for some, for many, deliverance is a process. Deliverance is counseling. Deliverance is prayer. Deliverance is life groups. Deliverance is freedom with other people seeing how they treat their spouse and how they parent. Deliverance is not always immediate. Sometimes it's just a process. And as we go through this, this is what the Egyptians said as they were going through the plagues. This story is starting to culminate now. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste. In other words, get your stuff and get out. Don't delay. Except for they said, we will all be dead. You can see, man, they're, start, they're seeing these things pick up. And it's getting crazy. We'll all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in cloths on their shoulders. In other words, this is all they had. And the Egyptians took it all to get out of there. And now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses because the word of Moses was what? The word of God. Because Moses was hearing straight from God. And they had done everything that God had told them to do. For they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And watch this. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. Genesis 15. They will be delivered and they will come out with more than they went in with. Here's what I'm here to tell somebody that's enslaved today, and you're in captivity today, and you're enslaved by the very thing that used to feed you, and you don't know how you got there, and you don't know how you're getting out. Here's what I'm telling you. If God is first, and we trust God, and he doesn't lie, you can come out of the captivity, and you can come out with more than you went in with, and God can give you something on the inside of you, a peace, a joy, a grace, a love, a forgiveness, everything on the inside that you didn't have. Why? Because you're coming. You're coming out with more than you went in with. You're coming out with more than you went in with. Oh, that's just feel-good preaching. That's the Bible. You don't have to stay in captivity forever. You don't have to stay in captivity forever. In fact, here's your takeaway for section one. God loves you too much to leave you there. God loves you too. We say it like this. God loves you right where you're at. God loves you in your captivity. God loves you in your slavery. God loves you in your moment. But too much to leave you there. There's a way out. And he'll show you. Section 2, they're heading. Now they've come out of slavery. 
with the Egyptians out of captivity. And they're beginning to walk towards Mount Sinai in chapters 15 through 18. And so they began the wilderness journey where they were in the wilderness for 40 years. They were in this thing. A generation of people, that's a whole other message that I'm not getting into today. A generation of Israelites had to die before they could ever get into the promised land. We'll talk about that later. But now they're walking, they're heading to Mount Sinai. This is interesting. This is where the journey began. All the, all the uh, red dashes are, is the Israelite uh, wilderness journey. This right here is Mount Sinai. And so what happens is they start up here. And they're like, get out of here. Leave, man. You're driving us crazy. We're going to die if you stay around. Leave, please. And then Pharaoh goes, wait, go get them. Man, that was our labor. That was our work. Go get them. And and that's where you read in Exodus, the, the Egyptians are chasing them, right? And they get to the Red Sea, and what happens? It parts. They walk, the Israelites walk over on dry land. And then what happens when the Egyptians show up? Kills all the Egyptians. That's the great sound effect for that, by the way. <laughs> Kills all the Egyptians right here. So you see, they're running, 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 running. They get here. Moses is like, I don't know what to do. We're trapped. Like, they're coming to us. And God goes, strike the water, water parts. They come in, water closes, kills the Egyptians. They're safe. And once they cross the Red Sea, they start heading all down the Red Sea. Why? Why would you cross, why would you, why would you travel next to a body of water? Resources. Water. You gotta have water to live. These guys ain't dumb. They're babies, as we'll talk about in a minute, but they're not dumb. And they're traveling all down the Red Sea. They come over, they're coming down, and they get to Mount Sinai. Now, here's the thing that takes place on their journey to Mount Sinai. On their journey to Mount Sinai, the Israelites can't stop complaining about everything. They actually make this statement. It's recorded in the Bible. I would rather have stayed enslaved in Egypt than to be brought into the wilderness of freedom and die here. Here's what they're saying. It was easier for me to be told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and not have actual freedom than it was for me to grow up and mature and learn how to trust God on my own. Some of us in the room are more comfortable with mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, great-grandma, great-grandpa's faith telling us what to do than growing up and being mature and figuring out what it looks like to live a life with Jesus by ourselves. Because what if they start getting hungry, you know what God does? Rains bread from heaven. It's pretty cool, but it wasn't enough. They get thirsty, you know what God does? Strikes a rock, water shows up. Pretty cool, ain't enough. It was never enough. Here's why. Here's our takeaway for section two. They weren't grateful for God's blessings. It's hard to take for granted what you're grateful for. God, I'm so tired today, but thank you for another day. God, my kids are driving me nuts. Some, we got some amens for people that ain't amen in six years. And I'm just kidding. I don't know who said amen. I'm just playing about that. I'm just playing. It's hard to take your kids for granted when you're grateful for them. 
God, I got just enough money to make ends meet until my next payday. But thank you for giving me just enough money to make ends meet until my next payday. God, this little car could kick the bucket at any moment. But God, I'm grateful I got a little car that could kick the bucket at any moment. See, what? it's hard to take for granted what you're grateful for. Some of us, here's, here's what I want to say. Some of us are free. We've been taken out of captivity, but captivity hasn't been taken out of us. And we're still victims of the pain that somebody else put us through. And if I'm going to come out on the other side with more than I went in with, <laughs> I've got to learn to be okay with freedom. I've got to learn to be okay that what happened to me ain't, what gonna, ain't what's going to happen to me. What took place in my life ain't going to define where I'm going in my life. Are you with me? I've got to be okay being grateful for everything God's given me. Because without him, I have nothing. Then we move over into section three. Section three is Moses is now on top of Mount Sinai. Moses is on Mount Sinai for this one reason. It's the same reason, it's the same priority that I have in my job. And if you follow a godly leader, it's the one priority he has in his life, and it's this. Our job is to hear from and follow God. That's it. Can I, how transparent are you going to let me be today? I love being your pastor. But you are not priority one for me. I love you. And it, I can't meet all of your needs, but I have a team that would love to help do the best that we can. In fact, I can't even meet with all of you. It's impossible. So when my staff schedules a meeting with you instead of me, be okay with it. Because my number one priority is hearing from God. My number one priority is meeting with God and being faithful to that. And when you serve a godly leader, that's their number one priority. And Moses was on Mount Sinai. And Moses was meeting with God. And he gets these things that we affectionately call the Ten Commandments. Here's the interesting part. You'll see the Ten Commandments differently after this. The first four are all about your vertical relationship with God. It's all about me and God. The second six is all about my horizontal relationship with others. How do I treat others? Watch this. First four, you should have no other gods before me. Number two, you should make for yourself no idols. Me and God. Because God is first. Because God is first. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. In other words, I like to say it like this. You can't attach it to cussing. You can't attach it to all that stuff. I like to say it like this. Don't you put God's name on something that he didn't put his word to. That's why I don't argue with people. If you come to me and you're like, this is what, this is what God told me to do. I'm, all right, you better go do it then. Well, what do you think? Don't need that. You don't need to know what I think. I'm not God. I use that statement very carefully. Because what if it was the taco I ate that night? And I just said God told me to. No, it didn't. Taco Bell did. I'm not eating Taco Bell right now, but my point, my point is, is when you attach God's name to something, you've now made him responsible, and if he didn't say he'd do it, don't you dare make him responsible for it. It's taking God's name in vain. It's using him as a, as a pawn in your idea of life. 
And we better be careful with that. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Can I tell you something? That's not, yeah, but the Sabbath was on Saturday and not on Sunday. And then it was on Wednesday. And then it was this. And then it was that. It's not about the day. Watch this. It's about the act. It's about rest. Did you know it's unholy? It's unbiblical not to rest? Here's why. I get it. Some of you are like, yo, I just can't. I can't slow down. Can't stop. Can't stop. I can't either. Y'all see me up here? You ought to see me at home. Like, I can't sit still. I can't do it. It's just crazy. It's like, all the time. When I refuse to rest, I'm telling God that it's all on me. But when I take time to rest, I'm telling God that it's all on him. And can I tell you something? If it's all on you, you are your own God. And these two aren't happening anyway. This, I just put this together, this is a byproduct of this. Rest is a byproduct of that. Let's keep going because I could camp out. I could camp out. I got to keep going. Horizontal relationships. The next six are all about how I treat others. Honor your father and mother. It actually says honor your father and mother and you'll live a long life. I don't agree with my mom and dad. Didn't I? It doesn't say agree with them. It says honor them. Honor is a heart posture of the position somebody holds, not the views they hold. Oh, that just shook somebody up. Here's what I mean. You're honoring their position, even if you don't agree with them. And I believe that honor looks like respect. It looks like treating someone. I believe honor is external, not just internal. I can't camp out on that. I don't have time. You should not kill. Can we just say, like, let's don't kill people. Let's be all right with that one. Okay. The rest of them, if you want to argue it, I'll argue with you. That one, if you're going to argue it, I'm probably calling the cops. Um, you should not commit adultery. Right? You should not steal. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You should not covet. It's all about how I treat spouse, how I treat neighbor, how I treat stranger. Why? Because if my vertical relationship's right, my horizontals ought to look like something. It ought to look different. And he's given us, and then the following chapters is, is Moses getting the 52 laws for righteousness. And then, this is where I love it. I'm, 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 oh, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Y'all, y'all ready for a sprint real quick? We good? You good? I know we're going through a lot today, but man, it's too good. Chapters 25 through 31, God begins to give Moses the instructions on building the tabernacle, and he actually says why. Here it is. I love it. I love it. I love it. Let them construct a sanctuary for me. This is going into section four, but we're, we're giving a precursor. That I may dwell among them. This is what you need to remember right here, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle, in the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. I just want to stop right here for a second. Here's why I want to stop on this. There are people in your life that will tell you that as long as you go to church and you sing and you love God, you can build your life however you want. And I'm here to tell you that is not true. Because as we'll see in a minute, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the temple was built specifically to be an illustrative thing of the relationship that you have with God. And if he was that intentional with a building, how intentional do you think he is with your life? He said, yeah, yeah, that deserves somebody to clap for me. For that, not me. He says, build it 
as I show you. And I'll show you what Ikea furniture to go get. That's how you're to get it. Don't you dare think that you build your life however you feel like and still give it over to God. There's a way this thing's supposed to be done. And it's supposed to look like something. It's supposed to replicate something. Here's section three takeaway. God wants all of us. He wants all of us numerically and individually, but he wants all of us, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the, that's the commandments. He wants all of us vertically. He wants all of us horizontally. He wants all of you. He don't want you on Sunday mornings and that's it. He appreciates Sundays. But he wants Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday too. He wants all of it. He doesn't want you to just stand there and sing the songs. He doesn't want just that part of worship. He wants your abandoned worship. He didn't want your Bible just on Sundays. He wants you every day of the week. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Y'all keep camping me out. Section four, the golden calf and the tabernacle is built, Exodus 32 through 40. And here's what takes place in Exodus 32, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, man, I can, I can, I can feel this verse. Now, who was Moses? He was the leader of the nation of Israel. He was where? On Mount Sinai, talking to who? He was talking to God. The people, the church of Israel, the first Pentecostal holiness church of Israel. All right, praise him. The people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. Who was Moses talking to then? And as for Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. In other words, he's taken too long. And Aaron said to him, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Yes, I know that's a typo. Ignore it. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And it was not God. It was the calf. Moses is meeting with God, comes down the mountain. He hears shouting. He's getting excited. Man, my church is ready. They're on fire. They're ready for God today. Come on. We're going to sing. Shout for the victory. Shout if you've been set free. Y'all don't know that one. Anyway, I thought you were going to play behind me for that one, PC. Come on now. B3 B Hammond, let's go. Anyway, all this is going on. Moses comes down, and he sees them bowing down and worshiping a golden calf. He's been meeting with God. The one thing he's most responsible for. And they go, you didn't meet our time frame, so therefore we made our own God. That is a reminder for us. Whenever we serve a God based only on what he does for us, when he doesn't do what you want when he won't, you'll find another God. Politics. News. Relationships. all kind, I could go through a million of them. And we'll create our own God. He comes down. I love this. He looks at his executive pastor, Aaron, and he goes, Aaron, dude, I'm meeting with God. What did you do? And Aaron goes, man, they handed me all this gold. I just threw it in a fire, and this came out. Dumbest excuse in the world. He goes, it ain't my fault. 
This just happened. And I'm sure it did. He goes through all this. This takes place. Long story short, he makes the golden calf into a golden powder, throws it into water, makes the Israelites drink it. Then the Levites step up to show their allegiance to God and Moses, and he has them kill the people that are against God in that moment. Man, this is violent. Yeah. God is first. No matter what. God is first. Now, nerd with me for a minute. Because the rest of Exodus is all about the building of the tabernacle. And I've already told you, it is, a, it is an illustrative example of a relationship with God. This is what the tent of meeting looked like. You'll see it called the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the temple. It's all the same. The tent of meeting was portable. That was portable church. That was radiate church for seven years. Okay? They had their pipe and drape, all that stuff. And this is where they would go to remember what the scripture said. Why did they need it? To what? So God could dwell with them. This is where they went. Moses would go in here, and they knew the presence of God was having a conversation with Moses when there was a cloud over it. And when the cloud was lifted and moved, guess what they did? They packed it all up, followed the cloud to be with the presence of God, and then they would set it back up. And when the cloud would move again, they'd tear it all back down and do it again. This is what they did over and over and over and over again for 40 years in the wilderness. This is what happened. Now, why is this so interesting in a diagram of a relationship with God? This is why. If you look at John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus makes this statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is where it gets interesting. This is a diagram of the topography of the tent of meeting. This line right here was the entrance. The entrance was known as the way. Here's why. There was one way in, and there was one way out. And what does Jesus say? No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way. He is now embodying. This is where people would go to experience God. And Jesus goes, I am the very place now. I am the physical example and illustration. I am the way. This should actually be over here for the holy place or the inner courts. This is called the outer courts. Anybody can enter this. Sad thing is now, this is where most Christians begin and end their relationship with God. I'll do just enough to get in the outer court. I'll do just enough to get into heaven. Hey, tell me what line I can cross to not go to hell. And then he says, this line right here, the entrance to the holy place is called the truth. Why? The closer I get to God, the more judgment, condemn, or not condemnation, the more judgment and righteousness become real in my life. And he gives me truth that makes me better. He gives me truth that makes me holier. He gives me truth that makes me more like him. And he says, I am the truth. I am now the one that helps you come to a place of forgiveness of sins. You have to come to the truth of who you are. The way, the truth, and then this line, the entrance to the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant sat, was called the life. Why? Without his presence, we have no life. Without the Spirit of God, we have no life. Without God's presence in our life, 
we have no life. It is all a replica of a relationship with God. God, can I just challenge you? And then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to go. In fact, I'm not even going to any more slides. I'm just going to stop right here because I see what time it is. Watch this. Can I just challenge you something? God doesn't want you to just hang out in the outer courts. God doesn't want you to just go, just, I'll do just enough, God. God wants you to get into a place of his presence because this is where worship comes alive. This is where prayer comes alive. This is where the Bible comes alive. This is where deliverance comes alive and redemption and grace and love and mercy come alive. It's in his presence. Don't just hang in the outer court. Get to know him like you never have before. Why? Because he loves you too much to leave you there. In your section four takeaway, and I'm praying, God wants to dwell with us. You could write it like this, and it probably has more power. A holy God wants to hang out with unholy people. That's you. Today. Because of Jesus. Can I pray with you? If you're at a place where you're ready to give your life to Jesus today, I encourage you to stop in the corner of the room, in our care corner, and just tell them, I need to give my life to Jesus today. I want to pray that prayer. We have a team ready to pray with you. I just want to pray with you. We're going to give you some next steps. And we're going to move forward. Father, I love you. I honor you. You are worthy of more than we could ever give. And I pray that we would not hang out in the outer steps, in the outer courts. But God, that we would move to the inner place, to the inner courts, and into the Holy of Holies. Through Jesus so that we can know you better. Let your presence fill us. Let your presence empower us. And let us walk out of here and live the gospel of Jesus Christ and of God our Father everywhere that we go. In your name we pray.